Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Luke chapter 13, reading verses 22 through 30. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first. And some are first who will be last. Father, I pray that you would help us as we seek to study your word and to understand it, uh, that you would open our eyes to see things in this text, that you would open our hearts to believe them, and that you would ultimately uh, help us to live out what we see in your word today. Help us not just to be hearers of the word, but doers also. Pray this, uh, that the Holy Spirit would uh, guide my words, that you would keep me from saying anything that would be untrue or unhelpful, and I pray that you would guide uh, each person listening today. And you'd give us hearts open to hear, to receive, and to apply your words. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. We are continuing our study of Luke's gospel. And uh, as is so often the case, the text today builds upon what was in last week's text. Uh, this is one reason I personally uh, love preaching through books of the Bible here, because each week uh, the text that we take is just another uh, a block on top of last week. And so you already know the context, you already know the setting in which it was written, and it really helps us uh, to understand the Bible better when we study the biblical stories in the order that they were written. And so that's what we're endeavoring to do here uh, at Lakeshore Baptist Church. Now, if you weren't here with us last week, let me encourage you, uh, go online, find that sermon, listen to it, because this one won't make a whole lot of sense if you don't listen to that one first. Uh, so we'll do the best that we can to explain things today. Uh, but do feel, uh, I would encourage you to go online and, uh, and look at that sermon, because it does lay a foundation for what we're going to be talking about today. Jesus has uh, just finished teaching about the gradual growth of the kingdom of God. That was verses 18 to 21. You remember last Sunday? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Uh, It's like leaven in flour. It starts off very small, and then it grows slowly over time and overspreads the earth. That was uh, the kingdom of God. The reign of Christ, of course, started very small, relatively small at least. Uh, After Christ's resurrection, you have 120 people. And then over time, it grows, and it will continue to grow, as we saw last Sunday, until it eventually spreads to all nations of the world. Today we pick up in verse 22 where Luke says of Jesus that he went on his way through towns and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. 
Now that takes us back to chapter 9, where Jesus leaves Galilee and heads uh, towards Jerusalem. Remember in chapter 9, verse 51, a major transition takes place in Luke's gospel. Jesus had been ministering up in the north of Israel in Galilee, and now he is leaving Galilee. It says that uh, toward the end of the verse there, uh, when, he, when, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, speaking of the cross, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so Christ is headed for Jerusalem from chapter 9 of Luke all the way to chapter 19 when he finally enters the city. These 10 chapters cover a journey uh, of just a few months where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he knows he's going to be crucified. He is on his way to die on a cross. He said as much in that same chapter, Luke 9, verse 22, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Uh, That was his mission, to die on the cross, uh, to pay the debt of sin that we owed, and to rise again from the dead. And so he's on his way towards Jerusalem to fulfill that mission And Luke reminds us in this chapter 13 that this is where we are in the story of Jesus. He wants us to uh, remember that we're on our way to Jerusalem. We're headed to the cross. And he's teaching along that journey in the various towns and villages that they pass through. Verse 23, someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now that's going to be the question that really sets up the rest of this text as we'll see today. Uh, The Greek word there is in the the present participle. And so a literal translation might be, are the saved ones few? In other words, the question seems to be about those in that current generation. He's not saying uh, necessarily, uh, are there only going to be a few people saved throughout all of time? Well, obviously many people have been saved uh, since then. He's asking right now, it it seems, uh, or are there only a few currently that are a part of this kingdom. Verse 23 in the NASB, I think, phrases it a a bit better. Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And so the question is about the success of Christ's ministry at the present time. Now, remember last week, Jesus had taught that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts off as the smallest of seeds. It's buried in the ground, and then gradually, slowly over time, it grows into a large tree. But it seemed like at the time there were already a large number of disciples. Thousands of people followed Jesus everywhere that he went. He was teaching in all of the synagogues, and he was quite popular among the people. And so the analogy of the mustard seed, I don't think quite landed for this guy. He's thinking, the kingdom doesn't seem very small. In fact, it it seems like it's uh, uh, exploding right now. Uh, Back in chapter 12, verse 1, we, we saw it said, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together, they were trampling one another. They're trying to get to Christ and to listen to him teach. And we've seen this many times in Luke's gospel already, where Jesus is teaching on the seashore and the crowds of people are getting closer and closer. He has to get on a boat and and get away because they're about to uh, push him into the sea. That's how many uh, people are in this crowd. And so this this, uh, question is right at the peak of Jesus' popularity with the people. Large crowds were following him, thousands of people. And so the kingdom did not seem to be like a very small mustard seed at all. Put yourself in in the shoes of this questioner. He's thinking, uh, Jesus is the most popular teacher in Israel. Uh, Thousands of people are crowding around him to hear him teach. And then he says that the kingdom is like a tiny mustard seed. And so this guy is thinking, Jesus, what do you mean? Are only a few people being saved? Is, Is that what you're saying? Jesus goes on to explain in the following verses that not everyone who appears to be a follower of Christ really is a true disciple. Not everyone in those crowds of thousands of people 
was actually a part of God's kingdom. Verse 24, Jesus says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. He doesn't specifically answer the question, notice. Uh, The guy says, are there only a few who are being saved? And Jesus says, don't worry about that. Instead, make sure that you're in. Uh, Make sure you're in the kingdom. Don't worry about how many other people are. Uh, This is very similar to Jesus' words in Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So you see there's two gates. Uh, One is wide and easy to walk through. The other is narrow and much more difficult. And the easy road leads to destruction, while the hard road leads to eternal life. If someone tells you that being a Christian is easy, uh, they probably don't understand what it means to be a Christian. Because following Christ means surrendering your life to his lordship. Uh, There are many who believe in Christ, but they don't surrender their lives and serve him as their king. And so Jesus says in verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. He says there very clearly, there are many who think they're headed for heaven, but they will be denied entrance. Uh, Back to the the, the illustration in in Matthew 7 about the two gates, right? One leads to life, uh, one leads to destruction. Uh, But the gate that leads to destruction doesn't have a big sign over it that says uh, destruction. No, both of them have the sign that says eternal life. In other words, uh, people go through these two options thinking, I'm headed for heaven. I'm a part of God's kingdom. And Jesus says many will be surprised. Many will be surprised when they are denied entrance into the kingdom of heaven. He uses an analogy here that's used elsewhere. Matthew 25, for example, the parable of the unprepared wedding guests. I will not take time to go over that, but you may remember they knock at the door of the feast and they're not allowed to enter because it's too late. Uh, Notice here the focus is on time, urgency. Uh, When the master of the house has shut the door, you can't knock and expect to be let in. Uh, Once that has taken place, it's too late. And so there's an urgency here to what Jesus is saying. So the man asks, are are a few being saved? Jesus responds, don't worry about that. Make sure you're in the kingdom. And you'd better be sure of it now because the door of opportunity is closing. This reminds us of the story in Genesis, Noah and the flood. Uh, Noah, a preacher for decades, trying to warn people about the coming uh, judgment from God, and no one listened. And then finally, when God shuts the door of the ark and everyone is destroyed, it's too late at that point. Uh, You can't just try to get in the ark after you've rejected that message for years. They had their opportunity, they had their chance, and they ignored the messenger from God. And in the same way, many today are ignoring the commands of the Bible, and they will be shocked when they are not allowed into heaven. Jesus continues, verse 26, Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And now we begin to see some of the reasons here, uh, that these people are surprised. Uh, They thought they were a part of God's kingdom because they ate and drank with Christ. Uh, Jesus taught them. In other words, these are not enemies of Jesus speaking. Okay, these are fans of Jesus. Uh, These are people who hung out with Jesus in his earthly ministry, who may have even really liked his teachings. Uh, They followed him, but they aren't fully devoted disciples of Christ. They're fans. They're not followers. And so he says in verse 27, he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. 
Uh, listen to me very carefully here. There are many people who believe in Jesus and like his teachings and consider themselves to be Christians, but they do not have eternal life. Many. Jesus said in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, uh, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They're surprised because of their works. Uh, They took the label of Christian. They did acts of service, and they, they said, we did this in your name. We call Jesus Lord. And so anybody who knew these people would have assumed that they're true followers of Jesus. But Christ says, depart from me. You were never truly my disciples because, verse 21, you didn't do the will of my Father. You called me Lord, but only the one who does the will of God will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not enough to simply like Jesus. You have to follow Jesus too. It's repentance and faith that is required. Verse 28, Jesus goes on to describe the judgment of these who are not allowed into the kingdom. It says, in that place, There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. They're weeping, they're gnashing their teeth in anger because they see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, These were the heroes of the Jewish faith, the heroes of their religion. They see the prophets that they had revered in the kingdom of God, but they themselves are cast out. Verse 29, this would become even Uh, worse for a Jewish audience. It says people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. We've got to remember here, Jesus is speaking to Jews. And he says to these religious people, these people who consider themselves to be uh, God's people, and rightly so, the Jews were a nation chosen by God to be his special people. And Jesus says, you will be kept from the kingdom of God. Uh, You'll see the Old Testament heroes that you revered in the kingdom, and you'll also see non-Jews in the kingdom, people from east, west, uh, north, and south, meaning there will be people from all the nations of the world in God's kingdom. And this would have been insulting to these people because many of the Jews believed basically that they're automatically a part of the God's kingdom because of their Jewish ethnicity. Uh, Because of the fact that they were descendants of Abraham, they just assumed that they were in God's kingdom. And for them to hear... Uh, you're actually going to be excluded from God's kingdom, and some Gentiles are going to be welcomed in. Uh, This was unthinkable to them. So Jesus here is striking at two common misconceptions of the day. First, not everyone who was a fan of Jesus is necessarily in the kingdom. Just because you like Jesus' teaching or just because you call Jesus your Lord, that doesn't mean anything unless you're doing the will of God. Second, not everyone who is a Jew will be welcomed into God's kingdom simply because of their race. Jesus taught these points on other occasions. John 8, for example, he was saying these things. I'm sorry, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. See, it's not enough to simply believe in Christ. He says to those who believed in him, who believed what he was saying, if you abide in my teaching, then you're really my disciples. Verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son 
remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You see the objection that they bring up here. Uh, We're descendants of Abraham. We don't need to be set free from our sin. And Jesus says, if you practice sin, you need the Son to set you free. If you're a slave of sin, or as our text in Luke said, if you're a worker of evil, if you live a lifestyle of sin, not in submission to the Lordship of Christ, you're not a part of the kingdom of God. So not all fans are in the kingdom, not all fans of Jesus, not all of the Jews are automatically in the kingdom. So are there only a few who are being saved? The answer is yes, truly saved, yes. There would come a great falling away toward the end of Christ's ministry. The hostility from the religious leaders would rise, and many of those who were in the crowd of thousands of people who followed Christ, who liked Jesus, uh, who considered themselves to be disciples, many of them would cry out, crucify him, in just a manner of weeks. And so they're revealing themselves to be false disciples. They're not truly devoted followers of Christ. We see a part of this falling away in John chapter 6 where it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see there the difference between the true and the false disciples. When the pressure was on, when it was not convenient to be a follower of Christ, the fans, the superficial disciples, left. The true disciples stayed faithful because they believed that Jesus was the Son of God and that faith kept them at his side. Uh, Verse 30 of our text, Behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is an often quoted line of Jesus that I think uh, many people really don't understand what it means. But simply put, Jesus is saying that those who submit to Christ now and follow his teachings in this life, they will be rewarded in the life to come. While those who ignore Christ and live however they want, they will be judged in the life to come. And so there's this reversal that takes place. Uh, Some who seem to have it great in this life, they were living it up, living in wealth, living in pleasure, they'll be judged eternally. And others who gave up everything to serve Christ will be repaid in the life to come and will be granted access to the kingdom of heaven. This is made very clear in Mark chapter 10, where Jesus has just told the rich young ruler, sell all of your possessions and come follow me. And of course, he refuses. He has a lot of wealth and he's not willing to part ways with it. In other words, he loves his money. He loves his possessions more than he loves Christ. And so toward the end of that A conversation, verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first. You see the contrast there. 
Jesus says of the rich young ruler who is unwilling to part ways with his wealth and possessions, he may seem to have a great life now, but his day is coming. And whereas you disciples, those who have given up everything to follow me, uh, you may be seeming to, to just go, be going through terrible persecutions, uh, but in the life to come, a reversal takes place. The first in this life are the last in eternity, and the last become the first. So some who were prominent, important, some who lived lavishly in this life will be excluded from God's kingdom because they refused to follow Christ and instead sought their own desires. And others who were the poorest, those who lived a hard lives on earth, will be exalted in the kingdom of heaven. You remember this from uh, Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Plain uh, earlier in Luke, I think it's Luke chapter 6, where he says, blessed are those who weep now because they're going to be rejoicing later. Blessed are the poor now because they're going to be rich later. A reversal takes place in eternity, where those who have given up uh, living out our own desires and living in sin in this life and instead sought to follow Christ will be rewarded for those sacrifices. Now, how does all of this apply to us today? We're not Jews. Uh, We didn't live at the time of Christ. He didn't teach in our streets. And so what does this have to do with us? I think some of us have very similar misconceptions about what it means to be a, a Christian. Many today think that if you grew up in a Christian family, you're automatically a part of God's kingdom, just like, uh, just like the Jews did. They thought, I'm a descendant of a Jew, therefore I, I'm a part of God's kingdom. Uh, some people think just because they're an American uh, that, they're, that they're a Christian, or just because they, they, their family grew up in church that they're a Christian. Nothing could be further from the truth. Salvation is an individual reality. Each of us must repent and believe the gospel and have our sins forgiven to enter the kingdom of heaven. We don't inherit God's kingdom because of some family heritage or something. I've heard it said before, God has no grandchildren, right? He only has kids. <laughs> so you're not a child of God by nature of your parents or your upbringing. Other people think that if you go to church, if you were baptized or something like that, that you're automatically in God's kingdom, which is a bit like the people here who thought that because they listened to Jesus teach, uh, because they did things in his name, because they called him Lord, right? Because they associated with Jesus, they must be in his kingdom. Let me tell you something. It really doesn't matter if you think you're a Christian. What matters is if Jesus thinks you are. Jesus made it quite clear who the true disciples are. And the question each of us needs to ask is this. Am I a fan or am I a follower? We're all here in church today on a holiday, no less. I suspect everybody here at, at least is a fan of Jesus. certainly hope that's the case. But there are many who call Jesus Lord and are not living as though he is their Lord. Don't let that be you. Paul wrote to Titus of those who would profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. I know you claim to be a Christian, but do you live in such a way that validates that claim? Talk is cheap. A lot of people say that they follow Christ. Uh, Let's be the real deal. Let's be resolved to demonstrate the reality of our faith and the way that we live our lives in service to Christ. Father, we do pray that you would instruct us in your word, that you would plant these truths deep in our hearts, that each of us would have a renewed commitment to follow you, not in name only, uh, not just to be a a member of a church and think that uh, that makes us a child of God, but help us to recognize your kingship, your lordship, and to submit to you in our lives, to live out the will of God. I pray, God, if there's anyone here in this room who's unsure of if they're a part of your kingdom. There's somebody here who's wondering, are my sins forgiven? God, I pray that you would give them repentance and faith, that you would help them to turn to Christ, 
to trust in His death on the cross to forgive their sins, and that we would have a commitment to live in accordance with Your will, that we would turn from our sins, repenting, commit ourselves to Your service. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.